From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. So good morning and welcome. If you're here for the first time, my name is Greg Sanders. Uh, it's my privilege to pastor Vintage, and we have been working systematically through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians is not for the faint of heart. Um, it's not for those that are scared of Scripture, because there's a lot of really significant issues that Paul will deal with in 1 Corinthians. Uh, specifically, as he, as he moves into the back half of chapter 6 and moves into chapter 7, Paul begins to deal with some, uh, some intensely um, moral issues. I don't know that 1 Corinthians needed to be written to the Corinthian church. It could be written to the church of our day just as easily because there are so many parallels and so many crossovers and there's so many places where what Paul is speaking and saying just has absolutely direct application in our culture. So we've been working through a series of questions and the question we're going to work on this morning in 1 Corinthians 7 is the question, should I get married or stay single? I don't think we'll have time to move past that question this morning. Again, blame it on the worship leader. It's Hannah's fault. Um, it was so much fun. Just, I just don't think there's a greater gift to the church than the presence of God, right? That's why we gather. We don't gather. We can all study scripture alone, but that corporate thing that just happened, you can't get that alone. You can have fun in the presence of God alone, but there is a supernatural sovereign anointing on the corporate body when we're all going up together. Because when God, the scripture says God has gone up with a shout, how many understand that sometimes we are the mechanism that that shout happens through? And as we declare out of the depth of our being the goodness, the mercy, the glory, the faithfulness of God, there's this thing that happens where heaven invades a room and it begins to go up and we get caught up in something that is transcended transcends us it transcends the moment it's supernatural i think we are we would be remiss to ever shut that down for the sake of anything short of that roof falling in it's just such a value i hope we're having it in our city groups i hope it's happening in every small encounter that we have for those of you that came to prayer on wednesday night uh, i was out of town uh pastor ben was like man it was nuts it was so good um, and I love it. I want to see that culture grow. I really believe there's an inextricable link between a church who prays and a church that sees revival and worship. Take it, chew on it. It's good. It's free. First um, Corinthians chapter seven. Paul says, I, "I say this as a concession, not a command. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Yet each person, each person has a special gift." from God of one kind or another. So I say this to those who are not married and to widows. It's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry for it's better to marry than burn with lust. So I just want to break these verses down and take a look at what, what this says to us and how this is a, applicable. Paul's obviously answering questions. We've, we've talked about that already, that in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, the church is writing Paul, and he's, and he's responding to some of their questions. So I think from his answers, we can assume that the question he's answering at the moment is about marriage and divorce. I would submit that as we consider this teaching, 
we need to understand that what Paul is writing is to the benefit of every believer. Paul's not writing from a judgmental place or an accusatory place or a condemning place. Paul's actually coaching and teaching and saying, I want you to live in the fullness of God's blessing, so I'm going to give you answers. It's so easy for us to, to come across these moments that feel like an edict and they feel like a mandate. It's easy for us to instantly feel resentful or want to challenge it and push back because what if that doesn't line up with my opinion? Can I just ask us to consider the heart that was in Paul when he writes this is pastoral and gracious. What does it look like for us to view this through that lens? For instance, his statement, I say this as a concession, not a command. This word concession in the Greek means permission. The word command means mandate. So, we could view this and say, that's just Paul's opinion. I don't have to follow it. I think that would be a mistake because all scriptures God breathed, all scriptures capable to create life and health and godliness in us when it's applied. I would love us to see this as a pastor's heart in Paul, pastoring a young body, coaching a young body. And what's, what he's motivated is to see something develop in them that is best for them. I think Paul sees, much like we see right now in our culture, Paul sees a culture where what is driving people's lives and decisions is the area of relationships and sexuality. How many would agree if we look across the landscape of our culture, this is probably one of the main driving forces in most people's lives. It is what they used, it's kind of the, the impetus to make decisions. And we'll watch people who have incredible moral character, all of a sudden make a decision to align. And I apologize ahead of time for my voice. Like I said, blew it out having fun with Jesus. Um, <clears throat> they'll make incredible mistakes because they allow their heart to chase their passion instead of value. I think Paul sees this as an area that the enemy of this Corinthian church is using to trip up this young culture. And I feel like it's the same right now. I don't care if you're 12 or 13 or 53. The reality is, you belong to Jesus. There is a government that he has established for you to walk in. There's a protocol. There are decisions that he longs for us to make. There's leadership from him that he longs to distribute to our lives. And any point that we would leave that and we would take him out of the place of lordship and put ourselves in it, we're destined for difficulty. And that's what Paul's dealing with here. He says, I wish everyone were single just as I am. Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So the original text in the Greek does not say single. It says, I wish every person was as I am. And the phrase can get very confusing unless we view it in its specific context. The context of this entire teaching is marriage and celibacy. Sexuality is an undercurrent of the conversation about marriage and celibacy. Why is Paul teaching us? Is he teaching us because he's trying to, to get at something in sexual preference? No. What he's making is a declaration about personal, personal focus and usefulness in the kingdom. He's dealing with the attitudes and the focus of the person. What he, he's appealing to those who might not be interested in marriage. And track with me. I, it'll, this will make more sense shortly. 
And to those people who don't have a real desire for marriage, what, what he would say is, why don't you join me in this very holy pursuit? Give yourselves completely to Jesus as I have, because we can do more for the kingdom than most. You see, this phrase, special gift, means charisma. It means a special grace. And what Paul is declaring in this is something that I think we've lost sight of in our culture. He's declaring that his celibate singleness is a grace from God. It's a gift. And it's this point that I want to highlight. The lack of desire for marriage to a person of the opposite gender is an evidence of an invitation into celibacy from the Lord. Can we just push pause for a second and take a look at the landscape of our culture and realize how misunderstood this has been? Paul is saying it's okay if you don't want to get married. You don't have to. As we learned before, Paul will say marriage has this incredible ability as a moral scrubbing agent in the culture to fight immorality. And so because of that, it's a good thing. But if you don't want to get married, it's okay. Why? Because there are people that walk in special grace that they just don't want to. And this beautiful thing is they can give themselves to the Lord more fully. How many would agree this would not be a very popular teaching in our modern worldview? But as we looked at it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, Paul will talk about a wisdom that comes from the world and a wisdom that comes from God and how the two are very, very different. Could I suggest to us, we as disciples of Jesus have no authority to carry a worldview or an opinion that differs from his. Let that one sink in. There are several issues in our culture where the worldview is very, very different than what we would call a traditional biblical view. And we feel this challenge and this tension to hold a point of view that feels a little bit more amenable to the culture. I think that's sin, if I can be so honest. Because our job is to be under the tutelage and authority of the Holy Spirit to line up with what Jesus declares and says. And in the moments where we might not even like it, we just say, you know what? We follow Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. One of the most beautiful things, I worked for a long time at, at a church as the, number, the, as the, the second in, in charge. It was my favorite job I've ever held in any church because I had a lot of authority to do things I wanted to do, and when I didn't want to actually take authority for it, I could just go, hey, you got to talk to the boss. See, it's that kind of thing where there are moments where it's okay for us to say, you know what, this is what Jesus said and I just don't have the understanding to know how to trump it. Nor do I want to because I trust him. So our job is to choose heavenly wisdom. So I, I say this, Paul will go on and say, so I say this to those who are not married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. This word better is good, virtuous, or beautiful. Again, in it, there's a sense of high calling and pure devotion to the king. And he says, but if they can't control themselves, they should marry. So here's the caveat that's important for us to see. If there is a desire for sexual expression in a person, they are to move into the protocol of marriage, period. And in this teaching, Paul creates a grid for us to understand our sexuality in mating, in relationships. You're like, well, we are talking, this is like sex ed in church. 
It's not. It's relational protocol in church. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks back. Our sexuality does not define who we are. It's just an aspect. It's an appetite, like food, like breathing. And our culture would want to say that sexuality defines who I am. And Paul's just saying that's not the case. He's saying, now there's a protocol for that. As God, as does everything, every gift from heaven, there's ways to use it. So what Paul says is celibacy is a special grace from the Lord, and it's a beautiful one, and it's the right choice for those who do not desire to get married to the opposite gender. Celibacy, the word itself means to be single and alone. The the clear idea is in devotion to the king. However, if the desire for companionship is strong enough in them, the coupling desire indicates a call to move into marriage, which is also a special gift. And it's a better option than being consumed with passion. You see, the only, the only problem with this teaching from a worldview is the same problem we have with almost any teaching. In all of us, there are some things that buck up against the I don't want to complex. That's not how I see it. It's not how I feel. I would love to submit to us that there are several moments in our lives where the answer is God doesn't care. Feelings are wonderful servants and terrible masters. And if my feelings govern my decisions and they move me into life patterns that are contrary to Scripture, what I've done is I've allowed my feelings to lead me into sin. That's just that simple. And there's an honesty and a, hum- and a humility required in both of these graces. And I believe the root truth in it is that both marriage and celibacy are God's answers to sexuality. And they're both beautiful. Marriage being the answer to a desire for human companionship and sexual release. Celibacy being the answer to a lack of those desires. But what Paul, we ha- what we can't miss here is that Paul's teaching very clearly that open and healthy sexuality is to be celebrated and practiced in marriage, but nowhere else. Can I push pause for a second and say that even means dating relationships? Because there's this double standard in the church that we would say people that are chasing an opposite, uh, same gender, we have a real issue with that. Scripture is not to, but we, we have this sense to want to wink and give a pass to people that are living in dating relationships and open sexuality. And the answer is, if you want to have sex and you want to have companionship, get married. I don't know if I'm ready for marriage. Good, then you're not ready for sex. Because God designed it to be a gift of covenant not a gift of emotion. And we're scared to teach that and preach that and declare it. Why would we be scared to declare anything from the Lord when, when the scripture teaches that every good and perfect gift comes from heaven? So let me rephrase that. Anything that comes from heaven is good and perfect. So any teaching that is given from the Lord is good and perfect and should be viewed in our lives as something that will lead us into righteousness, will lead us into purity, and will lead us into health and blessing. We, we allow the enemy to do this mind trip on us where we're like, I don't know, I just can't, God just won't let me do stuff. No, he says no for a reason. 
And the reason is it's not for your benefit because he knows what's right for us. And his, according to scripture, his plans for us are good, pleasing, and perfect. So there's zero things that he invites us into that are intentionally aimed at hurting us and undermining us. What they're all aimed at and what is the absolute outcome of everything the Lord would lead us into is righteousness, peace, and joy. It's the blessing of the Lord. If we could learn to walk that standard with a certain bravado and say, no, 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 the Lord said no, so I'm not doing it. I don't even care if I understand it. He just said no, so I'm not going to do it because I trust him and I trust his character. And we get so mired in the worldview. We get mired in this, I don't know, I've got to be tolerant. We can love people absolutely and still declare an absolute standard. There is no problem with those two things. I can say to someone, I think where you're at right now is wrong. Here's why Jesus tells me it's wrong, but I love you. To anyone that would say to you, if you tell me I'm wrong, you don't love me, that's manipulation. That's weird. Let's just call it for what it is. So if you're a single person in this room, this teaching, this part of Paul's teaching is probably aimed at you more than anybody. You have two questions that I want you to consider. Do I have a desire for sexual expression and companionship? If the, if the check mark is, you know, yes, no, or maybe, if it's a check mark of yes, sweet. Get married. Do I feel complete and I have a desire just to give myself to the Lord and the kingdom more fully? I.e., I don't really crave companionship? Great. Check mark is choose celibacy. I would love to submit to all of us, those are the two choices the Lord's put in front of us. There aren't any other choices in Scripture. The question, should I stay married? Paul has a, a statement that he, he makes. He says, but for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. This phrase, command from the Lord, should grab our attention because it's different than what he says before. What he says before is, I went to the Lord and I asked permission to share something with you. And he said, yes. This time the Lord said, I want you to share this with them. Go tell them this. And here's what he says. The root word that Paul says when he says, I have a, a command from the Lord, it means to transmit a message. So he, he's, he's just saying, guys, he told me I had to say this. I'm, I'm the mailman. Don't shoot the messenger. That's what he's saying. And it's an area of scripture that I think we have to tread on very quiet, very carefully with both confidence and caution. Confidence because we believe God's word is true, right? Come on, work with me. Do we believe it's true? Yeah. But with caution because this is simply incredibly misunderstood in our culture and it's lived wrongly a lot of times. And so while we believe God's word is true, we see something in our culture that doesn't really match it. We see something even in the culture of the church that doesn't match what this teaching says. Paul lays a guideline and he gives us understanding of how to live out this covenant of marriage the way God is directing us to. Again, I would highlight my concern in our culture is that we have a tendency to choose our behavior based on our desires instead of our commitments. I'm committed to Christ, therefore my behavior should be built on that commitment, not on my desire. I would also offer this caution as we get into this. How does a disciple of Jesus listen to a teaching that's directly from Jesus? Would I assume we listen? 
if it's him sitting here, you know, I doubt he would wear Jesus boots or Jesus sandals. I doubt he's in a long flowing robe. I'm guessing he probably looks pretty normal. But if he sits down and says, this is how I want you to live, all of a sudden we're like, okay, why can't we apply that same passion to the scriptures? Because that's who gave them. I just think it's as simple. He's my king, and if he says it, I'm going to obey it. It's just really simple. It doesn't make me naive. It makes me committed. So we got seven minutes. I can get through this. Here we go. Paul says, a wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. This phrase, must not leave, which is applied to both the husband and the wife. It literally means to put space in between, to leave, depart, divorce, or go away. The phrase, put space in between, causes me to push pause because it's a stronger, it's actually a, a stronger life phrase for us than divorce. Because both parties, the husband and the wife in marriage, are instructed to have a determination, a boundary, and a commitment to never put space between each other, to never leave, never depart, never divorce, or go away. The focus for us is not on those who have divorced. I don't want us looking around going, well, I know this person. I want us focusing on this question. Do I live this out now? If you're here and you've been divorced, there is no condemnation. There's no backward look at this saying we need revisionist history. There's just today. Let's learn the word of the Lord and live it forward. There is nothing that fixes a broken past like a redeemed future. And so that has to become the way we move forward because it gets so convoluted and so strange and topsy-turvy if we try to reach back into history and adjust it. I personally don't think that's what the Lord's asking for. If I'm wrong and I stand before him, he says, you were wrong at that point, I'll embrace it and own it. I've sought and asked, and I just can't come through Scripture to anything that would cause me to believe differently. But the word here puts space between this phrase, leave, seems to speak of an active cultivation of a healthy atmosphere in marriages. This phrase puts space between the root definition is literally space. It means distance. What space? What distance? Emotional space? Physical space? Spiritual space? What I see here is a very simple teaching. The only way I cannot, as a married person, the only way I cannot be putting space between my spouse and I is if I am actively working to protect connection and intimacy. Space, therefore, is defined as the breaking down of intimacy and connection in marriage. Consider that. Consider how right where I live, that puts all of us. At times, we would set our face rightly against divorce. It's never going to happen. But we would miss this reality. I give my wife the silent treatment all the time because she irritates me on stuff. Am I not putting space between I don't, I'm not saying I do that. Well, I, I used to do it really bad. I'm not as bad anymore. 
Sometimes I just don't want to be mired in the minutiae of the emotional relationship. And some men, you might understand that. So I just lose myself in work. And I don't mind if I work 100 hours a week because I really just don't, I don't want to get mired in all of that. I don't really care how you feel today. I know I'm supposed to ask, but I don't care. I just want to go to work and I want to do well and I want to come home and I want to watch TV. Wait, time out. Is he talking to me or is he talking about himself? I can't figure it out. (laughs) Put space between is an interesting concept. It's a call to both of us, and there's no blame game in this teaching. What would our marriages look like if we truly understood that before God, we are individually 100% responsible for the connection and closeness in our marriages? I'm married to Belinda. We just celebrated our 24th anniversary. I am, at 24 years in, 100% responsible for connection and closeness. See, 50-50 doesn't work. It gives you 0.25 if you multiply it. 100-100 gives you 1 if you multiply it. Marriage has to be a 100% commitment by each party. Otherwise, you get a diminished version of it. I know, I did math from, from the pulpit. It's weird, huh? But can we see how that works? If I give a 50% expecting my spouse to come 50%, what I'm really doing is I'm undermining the success rate of my marriage. What they're not doing, it. I don't care. Why don't I care? It doesn't matter. You and I have individually been charged by God to own our place and refuse to put space in our marriage. Why? Because this space idea or this tearing down or losing of connection, I'd love to submit just a really scary idea. It's the beginning of the divorcing process. The reason we see divorce so rampant is people for years have allowed space to exist in their marriages. They've disobeyed the word of the Lord. They've never owned it personally. And then they wake up one day and they have not, they're no longer in love. Can I just tell you, love's, love's not a feeling, it's a decision, it's an action. From a biblical perspective, living in an intimate, connected way in our marriages matters deeply to the Lord. Let's stand. Landed that plane right on time. Two questions for you this morning as we go. Am I aligning with the Lord's heart and guidelines for companionship? If I'm single, am I aligning with the Lord's heart and guidelines for companionship? If I'm married, is my worldview aligned with the Lord's guidelines for companionship and marriage? Secondly, am I aligning with the Lord's desire for a healthy marriage? Am I doing my part? Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Lord, I know at times things like let's talk about sex and marriage could be really dry, but we love that you care about the little details of life and you realize that while these things seem like they're not, they don't matter, they shape the way we handle our lives. And so Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you. We give you our hearts, we give you our minds, and we ask that you would bring a deep education from heaven into us, that we would be people that rightly, accurately live the truth. We love you, we honor you. May your face shine upon us this week as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at VintageCityChurch.com.